Hello, welcome to the Pretty Pixels podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tab London. And I'm your other host, Joey. And today, Joey, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about Regina McMenemy's work with gamer types. And we're going to be talking about her dissertation about that topic and then talking about what we what gamer types we think we are. Yeah. I think it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've been I've been really interested in her work since I started listening to her podcast which was based on her dissertation work. Like she did her dissertation, she actually mm-hmm. had an opportunity from a publisher. They offered her a publication deal to publish her dissertation as a book and she was like, "Actually, no. I don't really want to do that because um, according to her, if she did that, she'd reach an audience of maybe like 100 people. She was looking at more kind of like modern contemporary ways mm-hmm. of getting your academic work out there. And the podcast was one of them. So she chose that route. And that's that's how I and that I mean, I, I think it worked. That's how I came to find her. Would I have found yeah. her her work otherwise? Probably not. So mm-hmm. I think that. Was... Yeah. And that's really the uh, the downside of traditional like academic publishing. It's so niche and usually inaccessible not only just some like money because academic texts tend to cost a lot as we both (laughs) know from being in the dissertation process um but also like language too like there's these expectations that'll be this like heady language and i actually think her dissertation is very um accessible as far as the uh the language and like the the tone that she takes throughout yeah we'll we'll, we'll talk about that (laughs) yeah i think there's there's definitely a movement in academia toward more accessible writing and more accessible cost because like you said i mean i think people that we know that aren't familiar with academia are often surprised by how expensive books are because to them a book is a book right and they're Mm -hmm. used to paying when a brand new hardcover comes out 24 bucks 30 bucks something like that right and when you and I had a chapter published in a book and we had like relatives like, oh, where, where can I buy it? And we're like, it's $150. <laughs> you can't. Like, I didn't even buy it. <laughs> I, uh, we got our, our author copies and it's like, that that's that's enough. I'm not spending that well, much money. Yeah. And some stuff is so specialized. Like I have a book and I, I kind of like, I really value this book, mm-hmm. but it was expensive and it was only being sold in Germany. And I spent a lot of money to get this book. And I'm glad that I did because it's incredibly useful. Yeah. But like, that's just not accessible to people. Right. You know? people... And how else would you get access to that knowledge? It's kind of like hoarded away by this traditional publication system. Every time there's a new console out, people are like, oh, you're going to spend $500 on a... And it's like, I almost spent that much on one fucking book, okay? Yes. Yeah, let's not... <laughs> You know, I'm looking over at my stack of dissertation books and like, holy shit, that's yeah, that, that's a chunk of money right there. And one of the I know we're getting really kind of sidetracked on the academic stuff. But one of the things that's yeah. so frustrating um, is that when you complain about it to like people who've been in the system for a while, you really get that sort of like, well, yeah, but that's just the way it is kind of response. And it's like, isn't that academia as a whole? Though? It is. Yeah. And it's so frustrating because like, especially being where we are, where we're dissertating right now, we're working on our dissertation. So we're doing Mm -hmm. the last final thing that we need to do to officially enter this system that we're like, do we want to enter this system? (laughs) You know, some days I wonder. So broken. (laughs) But uh, enough about that. Before we get to the news, I should should note that we're attempting to record 
this episode with some new software. We were using Audacity to record it, mm-hmm. um, and I was re- I was doing the editing and everything, and it sounded fine to me on my laptop and my phone. Mm-hmm. But then our friend Ron, friend of the show, I feel like we've never mm-hmm. used that mm-hmm. term, but that's like a podcast term. <laughs> friend of the show, Ron. Friend of the show. Um, listened to it in his car, and he's like, "Your sound is like your volume is your way shit down." Is what and, he said, your right? Shit. Pretty much, yeah. He did actually. He was joking, but he was like, "Your audio is fucking sucks" or something. Um, and so he recommended a, a new software because we had been having issues with Audacity. So we're trying new software. We're trying new techniques. Ron's been helping me. He he walked me through a tutorial of this mm-hmm. new software. We're using Reaper now. Um, last night, it's a very it's not nearly as user friendly. So we're we're learning. <laughs> so um, if you have I been, would be like a student today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> What's the assignment? Um, yeah. So we're we're still learning. So we apologize for. Uh, the quality previously, but we we yeah. are getting better. We're we're working through. Yeah, and thanks to Ron again for mm-hmm. for all mm-hmm. of the the help working behind the scenes. Um, so let's talk about the news. Yeah, I thought I saw something interesting on Polygon that I thought mm-hmm. was so funny. There were there were two articles. <laughs> the way you said that, it made it like I saw something interesting on Polygon. That's unusual. Oh <laughs> man, Polygon never interesting. No, yeah. um, at eight forty a.m. on April thirteenth, yesterday. Timestamps in the notes. Yes, just so everyone knows he's got timestamps. This is because this is what's funny about it. Eight forty a.m. They published an article titled "Fortnite is adding Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn." So mm-hmm. we've seen that. We both love that game. Both yep. of us were like, oh, shit, go well, I'm going to have to go buy that skin. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. one more skin to add to the pile. And then 8.43 a.m., three minutes later, on Polygon, they published an article that says, Sony adds $200 million to its investment in Epic Games. Like, if those two those two titles, those two articles don't make a, a match in heaven... I don't know what does. <laughs> like here, here's two hundred million dollars extra investment, which is a lot of money on top of the already two hundred and fifty million dollars that they invested previously. Right. Um, you know, they've basically in- invested almost half a billion dollars. That's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fortnite's like, oh, here's this Sony exclusive character being published in our game. But one of the things, so I pulled out some quotes because I think what's so interesting about this to me is some of what uh, Tim Sweeney, the founder and chief executive of, of Epic Games, said, and then also um, Kenichiro Yoshida from Sony, Sony CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tim Sweeney said uh, that the new investment, quote, will help accelerate our work around building connected social experiences in Fortnite, Rocket League, and Fall Guys while empowering game developers and creators with Unreal Engine, etc. And then um, Yoshida, Sony CEO, said that Epic's, uh, Epic is a studio that delivers, quote, revolutionary experiences, and the PlayStation company is eager to continue its partnership with Epic. Uh, and he also said, we are excited, this is from GameStop, we are, all, we are excited to strengthen our collaboration to bring new entertainment experiences to people around the world. I strongly believe that this aligns with our purpose to fill the world with emotion through the power of creativity and technology. I think what was so interesting to me about all of this, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm like fantasizing here, but with Fortnite, it seems like Epic has been trying to push Fortnite to a platform beyond 
what it started out as, which was just a simple battle mm-hmm. royale. They've had concerts in there. They've had movie previews in there. They're trying to create what they call a quote-unquote multiverse. They've mm-hmm. had events with Marvel and Star Wars. And the fact that, you know, you can have Chun-Li running alongside Batman, running alongside Finn from the Star Wars mo- you know, movies, like that that collaboration and the the ability to have the shared world kind of makes me excited that the next Fortnite is not going to just be here's a new island here's some new mechanics it's going to be it's not going to be a shooter it's going to be something beyond that does that make sense does that do i sound like i'm it does and i don't want to like undervalue the social but i don't know that Fortnite would be Fortnite without the actual game yeah i think there would be a game component to it but they've added vehicles now so like Mm -hmm. is the next one going to be a shared world and not just well is there going to be a marked difference between like fortnite one and fortnite two though or are they just going to keep building this thing well that's what my question is like i'm wondering if they're going to keep building it as fortnite so fortnite Mm -hmm. now is very different from when fortnite started fortnite battle royale anyway um but is fortnite two going to integrate these other experiences you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. it's it's not just going to be the battle royale maybe that'll be a part of it or an option but instead it's going to be maybe not an island but like an interconnected world where you can go and do far more than just you know try to fight 99 other people kind of thing right right well it's interesting because we don't really have anything else to compare it to i mean the only other game that i can think of that's on similar level would be like minecraft and you and i have talked before about like what's minecraft 2 gonna be but then there's also some pushback to that idea like there's not gonna be another minecraft maybe there won't be a marked like minecraft 2 maybe they're just gonna keep developing minecraft but it's it's curious to watch these like bigger projects and just how they're they're gonna develop I would believe that they were just going to keep developing Minecraft uh, mm. if the interface and the menu system wasn't so absolutely atrocious. <laughs> if they're not going to fix that, and it's I been years. I still cannot <laughs> believe how unstable some of the fucking servers yeah. are. Like, how many times have we run into that on the, the PS, the PS5? Just in the last month, yeah. It's yeah, ridiculous. I can't believe that, like, it's Microsoft and they don't have their servers, like, under control. Yeah. So, yeah. so that that for me that sort of indicates that they might be working on. Do you think they're revamping the, the whole thing? thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, which would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we have ideas, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> we are available. We are poor grad students. Please pay us. <laughs> um, you 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 just added a note. What is this? Uh... I did. So. Just today, I think. Yeah, this is 14th. Um, it was announced that the Forgotten City game is going to be released this summer on all platforms. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but this was, it began as a mod for Skyrim. Hmm. And it won a um, National Writer Guild, Writers Guild Award. And there were over 3 million downloads for this mod. Wow. And they were, they, it was so successful that they were like, well, let's turn it into a full, a fully fledged game. 
And so it is um, described as like a mature narrative driven um, experience. And essentially you play as a time traveler and I believe um, you go back to like ancient Rome and you're kind of stuck in this city and you have to like observe the lives of like, I think it's like 23 or so individuals. And there's this constant time loop. And as you play through the loops and explore and interact with, you know, these people's lives, you unlock like clues to this mystery. And a lot of people are are hyped um, about it. And I think I'm I have growing excitement for it, in part because of its history starting out as, um, you know, a, a mod and just the fact that it was uh, pretty well recognized for its writing. So I'm very curious about it. And I'm excited to see that it's not only releasing on PC, but it is releasing on um, the PS4 and the PS5 and the Xbox and I think also the Switch. So that's pretty wow. cool. Is it one person who made it or the, a team? No, I'm pretty sure it's a team. Okay. I think modding is so interesting, not just because it allows people to do crazy things in existing games, but it seems like modding is is such a viable avenue for people to get into game development. Mm -hmm. Like this is becoming a game on its own and it started out as, you know, modding tools for an existing game. So you are essentially, you have access to all of these tools that professional developers have worked years on, um, and it allows you to get a really nice head start. And I mm -hmm. be curious to know, because a lot of times when I read articles about like, how do you get into the game industry and stuff like that? Um, they ignore modding, you know, if you, yeah, if you hear developers, yeah. a lot of times they'll say that they'll say, get into modding. Like if you can get into modding, that kind of gives you again, a starting point gives you a lot of tools to work with. And then you get used to just um, creating material with existing uh, items. And then, you can kind of go from there. So, yeah, I I just looked it up. So the the dev team um, is Modern Storyteller, and they are self described as a tiny indie video game studio based in Melbourne, Australia. Oh wow! And it looks like there are maybe three people working there. Dang. So tiny, um, but yeah, they began as a, a one a one man uh, like mod <laughs> or, or modder rather. Hmm. Um, and after they they created the Forgotten City, it looks like they um they they expanded a little bit. But yeah, I don't know it's it's those kinds of stories are interesting, and I feel like they're not kind of like you were saying they're not really highlighted very much. Right. Yeah. Um, Nintendo. There was a Nintendo Indie World showcase today, hmm. and I, from what I was seeing on Twitter, it looked like it was a surprise because a lot of people were like. Where did that come from? I and mean, I don't know if they just missed it or if it just was kind of out okay. of the blue. Um, there's some interesting looking titles. I didn't get to watch the full thing. I sort of skipped around because I didn't have time before the show. But mm -hmm. there's a, te a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, side-scrolling beat-em-up called Shredder's Revenge. That if you were okay. a fan of like the old, you know, TMNT arcade game and all that kind of stuff, I think that looked very interesting to me. Um, because it really did. It looked like a really sharp modern looking classic arcade game which is and it's co-op you can play up to four people so oh, okay um that's pretty cool a game that i thought you might be interested in was called road 96 and okay it's i would recommend looking up the the trailer when you get a chance it's a it's like you know when people say oh there's a choice-based game 
that means maybe something like an until dawn where you choose to run to the left or hide under the bed or something. This game boasts thousands of possibilities. And oh, wow. the way that the trailer shows it is sort of like there's, you know, every instance that you encounter someone, there's multiple ways things can go. And so, you know, the the trailer really kind of highlights the idea of the story being told as in like, they can, they sort of, it's hard to describe. So they sort of like edit it where it's like, hi, my name's whatever, I can't remember the name, but like, you know, my name's Carol um, and I'm on route 13. And then it cuts back like it re is revi- revising it. And it's like, I'm on route 20 and I'm on route 126 and I'm going to Oregon, Michigan, Illinois. So like it shows that like there's all these different, I, I don't remember that the, the states are the thing, but it shows that like there's so many different paths through this story. Like every choice that you make actually could send you on a completely different story path. Not like these games that are like, well, we have an idea for a story and we'll let you make choices along the way. And maybe there's a few different endings. This seems like your choices make significant um, impact on your story. So that's really cool. I'm, I'm looking at it on steam right now and it says hitchhike your way to freedom in this crazy procedurally generated road trip made by renowned indie creators. No one's road is the same. Yeah. That does sound awesome. See, that's what I thought. And I think, um, is there a demo for this? Oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. I, I did. I thought I said sure it was coming out this available. year. No, it, it's uh, coming soon for the demo. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Right. Yeah, it cool. seems interesting. Cool. And then, I mean, there were set, there was a bunch of games, of course. The last one that caught my eye, of, of course, was their their closer, which was Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals. I still have to play the first one. I was going to ask you if you'd played it. Yeah, I haven't played it, but I hear a lot of good things about it. Yeah, our friend, I think I have it on the Switch. Yeah, our, our Twitter friend Renee was very excited about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've heard such good things, so yeah, I'll probably, probably end up yeah. playing that. And then... It might be a good summer game. Feel like, but what's what does our list look like at this point? <laughs> We're like, that's a Why good summer game. That's like a good. That? I I just because I I you're right. It does sound like a nice summer game, and it's probably short. Uh, being an indie, most of many of them are short. Um, it sounds like when I could sit on the couch with Tirza and she could watch me play. And just chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you play it, maybe I'll maybe I'll play. It. I'm sure I probably have it. <laughs> well, because I you know it's just fun talking about games together. Um, and, and for the podcast, like I'm assuming, hopefully we'll both be playing Emily's Away 3 in two days. It releases, releases this week. If I can edit the podcast and get it up today, it'll be two days, but otherwise it'll be tomorrow. If you're listening to this tomorrow on the 15th, but, uh, but yeah, that's really still not available for, um, pre-order. It's not, um, Ah, Kyle Seeley on Twitter mentioned something about, there being like steam doesn't allow pre-orders for smaller devs which is oh, you know okay kind of sad yeah hmm. yeah that makes sense though why i see so many indie people being like wish listed wish yeah he also i don't know if you ever did this but there when he was developing it early on like a couple years ago he was like oh you know there's gonna be a bunch of username us- usernames in this game because it's again it's a recreation of the early facebook years and so there's a bunch of like Mm -hmm. user accounts and there's a fake version of youtube and all that stuff um he's like so if you submit your username on this site it might be used in the game and he tweeted out like a list of you of the fake youtube um username database or something in the game Mm 
Uh, and he's like, you know, check to see if your name is on there. And mine's not on there. So Aww, didn't make the cut. I don't remember if I did that. <laughs> yeah. I remember mentioning it to you and you were like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And I don't I don't remember if you ever. You ever when did he tweet that? that out? This morning, I think. Okay. I'll have to check. <laughs> yeah. I saw people in the comments being like, I made it. I made it. I didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. <damn> it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a little sad. But he said he got over 10,000 submissions. So I'm like, all oh, right. Shit. Well, I guess, you know, makes cool. makes sense. Um, but I think that's it for the news, right? Anything else you want to mention? Anything else I missed? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Well then, what the hell have you been playing? What have I been playing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have been playing a lot of Planet Zoo, which, uh, we've, we've already talked about this. Um, I, I think, and I think I mentioned this last week, but I've been feeling the itch to play more PC games. And one afternoon when I was sitting here, probably responding to some student work, I was I was dreaming of summer and <laughs> of the games that I want to play. And uh, Planet Zoo popped into my mind. And it was a game that I had played. I don't know if I bought it at launch. I know it came out in 2019, but I, I think I bought it shortly after launch. And I started to play it. And I, so I love the um roller coaster tycoon games the originals and um the zoo tycoon games like that shit was my jam for a while there (laughs) and i have a lot of like nostalgic you know feelings for those games and so i was like well planet zoo sounds like right up my alley and I, i never played planet coaster but i heard excellent things about what the devs did with that plus they made um i always forget is it just jurassic evolution jurassic or world evolution jurassic world evolution yeah. and they made that and I, you love that game yeah. and it, it really looks cool so i got planet zoo originally and i was very overwhelmed by like everything and i was like holy shit i don't know if i can do this and so i left it and i'd always wanted to you know go back to it and so i did and i started out in sandbox just to like okay give me all the tools give me all the shit without the pressure of like animals dying and people coming in and protesting and stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) and i got comfortable with that and then i switched over to franchise mode and i failed my first zoo uh but i learned i learned a lot (laughs) (laughs) fucking ran out of money i expanded way too quickly um i just want all the cute little animals man they're adorable i keep sending you um pictures of like little koalas and little joeys and stuff like that but anyways um started the second zoo and it's been going really well i actually so when you start out in franchise you only have forty thousand, and i took my time i was super methodical and my zoo right now is sitting at um a million in profit wow. like, we, we're doing excellent <laughs> um i just got some dingoes a so dingo. i'm gonna be sending you pictures of those shortly <laughs> did, it, did it eat your baby uh-huh. <laughs> have you actually seen that movie no 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 oh. i hear so many conflicting stories like at first it was like oh it's I... a myth it's not a real story and then i remember <laughs> hearing an australian be like no it was a real story so i don't even know what to believe anymore but yeah, well, the movie's interesting. Is it based on Anyways, that story? Is it based on a true story? Supposedly. Huh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know exactly, I guess, how much is true. And it's, it's to be fair, it's been a while since I actually saw the movie. Mm. But I feel like if you're going to throw out the quote, you at least have to see the movie <laughs> once. Um, but no, that's, that's what I've been playing. I think I've put in like 15 hours 
over the last like week and That's a half. I, for, I thought it was going to be um, higher for some reason. I, I thought you were going to be like well, 40 you know, hours. Well, still the semester. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I've, I've been having a lot of fun with it. And I just, I like sim management games. Um, and it, it definitely brings me back to like the beginning of like my PC gaming. And I, I still have like periods where like the nostalgia is so strong that I go back and play um, uh, a roller coaster tycoon. Like, I think that's a game that kind of stands the test of time to a certain degree. And I just think of that stuff is really well-made. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. I think back to one of our early conversations when we had, we were, our f- friendship was bright and burgeoning and you were, and <laughs> you were ranting, you were ranting, you were wow. ranting about how do I cut things out in this new audio software? Wow. <laughs> um, you were ranting and raving about Roller Coaster Tycoon and I was so surprised because it seemed, it didn't seem to fit in with many of the other games you had talked about. And that Mm -hmm. lined up with so many, I've heard so many other people that I know that are like fans of RPGs and shooters and stuff that are like, oh yeah, the tycoon games. Oh, they're so amazing. And I was always like, yeah, I guess I'll keep them on like my like C tier of like, I'll get around to it kind of things. Wow, the C tier. Well, because like, (laughs) it's not, they don't seem like my type of game. You know what I mean? I'm like, especially like something like Roller Coaster Tycoon. I'm like, I guess, I mean, I like riding roller coasters, but do I want to make a game where I build them? That doesn't really seem exciting. It's satisfying, man. Well, it's satisfying. then, of course, Jurassic World Evolution came out, and I saw screenshots and everything, and I was like, well, mm-hmm. it's not the Jurassic Park game that I want, which is more of like an actual adventure game where I'm on the island and, you know, there are paddocks with T-Rexes and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. But the graphics looked really good, and it looked close enough to a Jurassic Park game that I wanted. And so... I kept waiting for it to go on sale, finally got it on sale, I tried it, and I what I thought was going to happen was like, I'm going to play one or two parks, because like, I'm going to do the story mode to unlock stuff to do the, you know, free mm-hmm. free mode, sandbox mode, or whatever, um, and then I'm going to get to a point where I get stuck, and I'm just going to walk away and be like, I guess I tried, and I got, I platinumed it across two different sessions, I like played <laughs> the hell out of it, I think last year. Mm-hmm. Loved it a ton. Um, didn't get the platinum because there were a few trophies that were like really hard. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I just had this itch to play it this year. And I was like, I need I need that platinum. I have to go back. So I went back and played like the Jurassic Park DLC, See, which has the gotcha. it, it, it is. It's like, um, I don't know if the other games would. I think they would, though, because everything you've described about Planet Zoo, so much of it lines up very closely with evolution. Um mm-hmm. There are some things like loans and stuff and trading, you know, with other parks that that Evolution doesn't have. Um, But there's just something about, like, it it doesn't, it allows you to do the things that you want to do with only minor inconveniences of the things that you don't. So I don't want to have to worry too much about bathroom placement and are my guests happy. I do have to worry about that to an extent, but it's not overbearing. I can still focus on, like, creating, like, a big, comfortable pen for my dinosaurs you know mm-hmm. and keeping them happy yeah and like that's the thing right like for that game you want to see cool dinosaurs yeah. for planet zoo you want to see adorable animals and like there's quite a bit of detail that went into the models for each of the animals so yeah. that is satisfying for sure <laughs> <laughs> 
But what have you been playing? Uh, more Fallout New Vegas. I was trying to think. I was like, okay. did I play anything else? And I was like, no, I don't think so. I've been super hooked. Definitely in love mm-hmm. with it. There, There is a mission that I was just telling you about where... Uh, and I'll go ahead and go ahead and spoil it. This is a game that's over 10 years old at this point. Um, but there's this this mission that I did early on that kind of made me get that same sense of excitement that I remember having in Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, where you do certain missions that are like multi-tiered or multi-layered. Um, and this one, mm-hmm. you come into the small town, you know, the Fallout games, you're you're this wanderer in like the the wasteland, post-apocalyptic wasteland, and you come into this small town, and everything seems pretty normal. It's very small, very insulated, but the town they all seem to get along very well. There's like a a couple who's farms, and so they provide like the the food for the town, and there's like a kind of pseudo mayor. They don't really have a mayor, but she kind of runs the town. She runs the local inn, um, and then there's like a retired soldier, and there's like these these two snipers who kind of watch the road for bad guys and all this kind of stuff. So you go through and you meet all these people and you end up doing all these missions Mm -hmm. for them. And there's a karma system. Well, there's a karma system and a reputation system in the game. And the reputation system is the one that's important because you want to be on good, good terms with, with these towns and and these factions. And so you do all these things for these people. You help the farmers with their problem. You help the retired soldier with a problem. You clear out this factory for the community of these like ghouls and stuff. So you do all this work and spend all this time helping the community and your reputation keeps going up to the point where you become like a legend among them, a legend to their eyes. And so this is like the first town outside of the starting area that you find. And you feel really good. You're like, I'm a hero. I have like a good relationship with these people. And then one of the snipers is like, yeah, my wife went missing and I, I suspect the other sniper, the, the daytime sniper. There's a daytime sniper and a nighttime sniper. And the nighttime sniper is like, I suspect the daytime sniper had something to do with it. Can you investigate? And long story short, you investigate, you go and like, in, you know, talk to people and everyone in town has the same story, which is, oh, she wasn't happy. She must have ran away. Um, she wanted a, a mm-hmm. life, a different kind of life, a glitzy kind of life. But it turns out when you do some some poking around in the mayor's office and you break into her vault, as you as do, you do. When, as one does, and you break into her vault, you find a note that says that she sold the woman into slavery with her unborn child. And it yeah. doesn't explicitly say that the town knew about it, but basically the letter seemed to imply to me that the mayor was doing it on the beh- on behalf of the town. And that makes sense when you consider God. the fact that the town all had this shared story of, oh, yeah, she never seemed to fit in. She always seemed to be wanting a better life. It seems like they have this shared lie. So they sold her into slavery mm-hmm. with an unborn child that was also a part of the deal. They got a bonus for that. And so and they're talking about how like, you know, like because part of the thing that you you get when you start talking to these people is like, how does your town survive like what do you guys do for money and they're always like oh we just we get along we we get along fine they (laughs) freaking sell people into slavery so you spent all this time all these hours building up this reputation and you're like yeah i feel like i'm one of you i helped you guys out i saved you and then you're like i well i have to kill you so you kill the mayor um i didn't kill the rest of the town because i don't think you're supposed to um i well i didn't kill the mayor i had the mayor the sniper that you know the the husband of the the woman that got sold into slavery ends up mm-hmm. killing her but um it's it's missions like that that are like just so involved and that have such a uh sometimes sadistic or grim conclusion 
um, that's also done in a kind of wry, not satirical, but like a wry, humorous kind of way. I forget. Is this the same team that did The Outer Worlds? Yeah. Okay, because that definitely is like their thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many things in this game that I'm reminded of. There's a mission where you have to decide who to route power to, which uh, is like one of the first yep, missions you yep. do in The Outer okay, Worlds. Okay, all right. Um, there's, there's, I, I think I'm going to go on record here. I'm, I want credit <laughs> for this. If this ever comes out, I think that what happened was that team started working on ideas, like maybe some like pre-production, uh, documents on another fallout sequel. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to go their own way and make their own game because there are a lot of connections that I can see between New Vegas and the Outer Worlds where when we play the Outer Worlds, we're like, oh, basically it's just Fallout in space because mm -hmm. there's so many similarities in terms of gameplay and the systems and the mission structures and all that kind of stuff. But even in themes, when I play New Vegas, one of the things that they touch on is the idea that there are people in this world that want to leave the planet. And you actually help some of them do it. They're oh. actually ghouls. but okay. um, And so there's these old-fashioned rockets and they talk about this company that makes those rockets um, mining other planets. And they show like a little map of the solar system. And they're like, our spaceships are out there right now looking for good outposts to like That's mine cool. for products. And it's like, that sounds like yeah. the precursor for the outer worlds, which mm -hmm. is these companies go into space and they, you know, colonize the planets and stuff. So I really wonder if after working on that, they said, oh, well, of course, we're going to do a sequel to Fallout 4 like we did with Fallout 3. So I wonder if they started coming up with all these mm -hmm. uh, concepts and ideas and maybe concept art. Do and we stuff. actually, I mean, not that we need to go off on this tangent, but do we actually know what happened there? Like why they didn't work on anything else after that? Not that I know of. I mean, okay. maybe it'll be out there. It seems like something they would kind of keep hush hush. Yeah, I, I was um, yeah, but I, now that they're, I mean, they're a part of Bethesda and Bethesda, well, are they a part of Bethesda? Or are they just both owned by Microsoft now? I can't remember. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Either way, they're, are they we, are both owned by Microsoft. Are we for sure getting another one? <laughs> another Fallout? Uh, outer, outer Worlds. I thought so. I thought they okay. had officially announced it, but I'm not positive. I, I liked it, and I, yeah. I mean, I found it rather delightful. Um, I mean, it's still it's dark, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, or it has its dark moments. But I kind of I, I appreciated at the time, and I think I still do that it was a slightly smaller experience, but it right. was still rich. So I I was cool with that. Yeah. And I, I mean, my hope is that if there is a sequel that it might be bigger. I, I liked that it was small, mm -hmm. but of course I like when yeah. I like a game as I did. Yeah, then you I just want I would more. love more of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's one of the strong things about Cyberpunk 2077 is we can complain all the, all we want about bugs and everything. But I think there were some some good things about it. And the the scalability of the your of the playtime essentially was really something i think to be lauded you could burn through the story very quickly yes as you did didn't yep. you you were like mm -hmm. i just want to beat the story yep. and i think didn't you beat it in like 15 hours or less yeah it was less it was definitely less than 20 hours yeah and right. i didn't even feel like oh my god i'm rushing it i was like i'm enjoying the story or you know enjoying we'll put that loosely right. but i was invested enough in the story to see what would happen next that i was just doing that and still doing side stuff, but I was focused on the story and I, I beat it rather quickly. My, of course, biggest complaint beyond the bugs, though, of course, is that like, yes, there's plenty of world 
to do something with. They just actually need to like fill that world with stuff yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I took the opposite approach was I was like, I'm going to go do everything mm-hmm. before I finish the story. Uh, and I feel like it's one of the few games that have, that actually nailed that in a, in, in a successful way. Mm-hmm. Although we can get into talking about like we did with, we think that there were at least a big chunk of story yeah. that they took out. So maybe they you didn't know, mean for the story to maybe be Maybe when like the game is like quote unquote complete, we should yeah. spend some time with it and then actually have an episode that's like, okay, a year ago, this was our experience. Now here's our experience coming back when there's like DLC or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be interested in that. I liked it enough to, mm-hmm. to revisit it and. Well, we both got some... platinum. So obviously we didn't absolutely hate it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so shall we dive into this dissertation? Let's do it. All right, so the full title is Game on Girl, Identity and Representation in Digital RPGs. Yep, and she completed it in 2011 at the Washington State University, which where I think she might still be, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, but as I mentioned, she also hosts the Game on Girl podcast, which she began as a way to expand and kind of continue her work on on that she's she continued doing more interviews with people people that Mm -hmm. she had interviewed for her dissertation um, people that that had heard about her dissertation and wanted to be interviewed Um, and she's had you know i don't remember how many episodes but many episodes they're a little bit more sporadic now i think she's busy with with other stuff but she also started the the geek embassy embassy online which is more of like a network of other scholars and writers and creators and things like that so mm-hmm. uh, if you're if you're interested definitely look look them up but do we want to talk about the dissertation first or do we just want to jump into um i mean i think we could go straight to the the rpg typology do you think that's well, okay. Before that, though, I think let's yeah. let's talk because on the podcast, the way that she starts is because I she does this in her dissertation as well. Um, she asks her subjects to define gamer because yeah. essentially she's going to be asking them about their identity as a gamer. Mm-hmm. So she starts out by saying, "How do you define gamer?" And she yeah. had some really interesting responses that were sort of wildly varied. I would say mm-hmm. so. One example was um, someone said something, and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, one of them said something like, it's not a label you can give yourself, so you can't call yourself a gamer. Or if you do, you sort of have to be approved by other gamers. So it has it's to gotten to like, the community. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then someone said it's not just someone who like plays a lot of games, but it's also someone who like participates in what they call gamer culture, so mm-hmm. fandoms and and you know, social media and, you know, online groups and things like that. Uh, And then someone was a little bit more simple and said someone for whom games are their primary or at least one of their primary activities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Regina McMenemy herself um, defines it basically as anyone who just plays games. And that can be video games, board games, card games, Mm -hmm. like just someone who, and I think that's probably how our, what our definition of gamer would be, right? Based on our discussion. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the past, I think I would have said like a gamer is someone who has gaming as a primary hobby. Right. But I also recognize that gaming can also be a somewhat infrequent thing. Um, 
you know, depending on where any given individual is at in their life, they might not have access to games. Um, and I don't think that that makes them any less of a gamer. Right. And, and also, I think there are different ways for gamers to sort of participate in the the like community of gaming. And we've sort of alluded to this before with like, well, what do you do with someone who is into watching Let's Plays or into Twitch streams or things like that? Are you not a gamer because you watch someone else do the thing? Um, so for me, I think it's just someone who enjoys gaming and by gaming i have that as a pretty loose like definition right i think even the way you said it though is important someone who enjoys gaming mm -hmm. so not necessarily someone who plays games because exactly as you said some people might not have the ability to play games or the finances or whatever but maybe they enjoy watching people play games mm -hmm. and just because you're consuming games secondhand doesn't necessarily right. make you less of a gamer. And and why shouldn't it? I mean, if you think back to before, you know, we were so connected online, people would sit down on their couches and watch their friend play a game. I mean, yeah. I did that all the time with my cousins. I would watch them, you know, play through whatever. I was interested in the game. Did that mean I wasn't a gamer? I mean, some people would argue yes, but. I think, right, when I was a teenager, I think I probably would have had more of a strict definition, but the more that I saw people using that to gatekeep and to, to yes. basically try to say that, you, well, you you aren't a gamer. I I get to be the one who decides if you're a gamer or not. You're not a gamer mm -hmm. because you only have one console. You don't have multiple consoles or you don't play these hardcore games. I saw so many people trying to say, well, you're not a gamer because you only play The Sims or, you know, oh, you only play mobile games. You're not a gamer. And it's like that... Once you're c confronted with that as someone who, like, again, had these thoughts about what a gamer was or was not, that immediately sort of shattered my definition. And I was like, well, no, yes, Oliver, these no. are gamers, you know. So I just increasingly started breaking down and being like, I do still think it's useful <clears throat> to have terminology. I know some people are like, who cares? Anyone's a gamer. If you want to be a gamer, you're a gamer. I think it's useful to to help. So, But we're talking about identity. So when I look back at like when I was a teenager like we talked about it, it wasn't until much later that I started feeling like a gamer mm -hmm. um when I was a kid I played a lot of games but I didn't feel like a gamer it wasn't until I found community and I think then that's when your definitions of what a gamer is and what you are who you are as a gamer start kind of mm -hmm. coming to be right. um but then like I said later on I started seeing people kind of gatekeep and be like oh you're not a real gamer a, you know a true gamer and I do I do think that it is useful to 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 classify people and to be able to classify yourself like if we just dilute the the word or the definition of gamer so much then then i don't feel like it's a special thing like i don't feel like that part of my personality means anything but i think that's why we've suddenly gotten very specific because like we've talked about like there's an idea of what a a core gamer or a hardcore gamer is versus yeah. a casual gamer um and unfortunately, those things have have, you know, I think the gatekeeping even followed those distinctions. And now there's a negativity. When we say casual gamer, we don't mean that in a negative way. We just mean someone who right, it's maybe right. gaming is not their primary 
hobby. Maybe it's their secondary or even, you know, tertiary hobby mm-hmm. or something they do intermittently and they don't care yeah. too much about, you know, that's what we I mean. Maybe they only do it in certain situations with particular people. Or... Right. But the unfortunate thing is that those gatekeepers use that in a negative way. They're like, oh, you're just right. a casual or a oh, filthy casual, that kind of thing. So um, I, I definitely think we could talk more about that at a, in a later episode because I feel like that's just such a – we started this whole podcast. We On the first episode, we talked a little bit about our, our mm-hmm. wanting to kind of reclaim that term gamer. Um, but it's a really it's, – it's such a complicated topic or question to answer because – you know, it is highly individualized. Like I think of myself as a gamer, but sometimes I'm like, man, I don't know enough. I feel like there's so much out there to know. And well, I, th- I definitely feel like I don't know enough compared to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like I, it's, and it's hard to not be insecure about that stuff, even though I'm not really a part of a lot of gamer social circles, which I kind of want that to change. But, um, so I don't have like a group of people that I'm concerned of like judging me or anything like that. Right. But, um, but it's definitely something that I think we probably don't have time to deal with today. But <laughs> I do think that's an interesting place to start. Um, like I said, mm-hmm. so our definition is anyone who who enjoys games, right? I would say games and gaming culture to make yeah. it a little bit broader. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, then it encompasses those other areas that some people are i think less likely to include in the definition but i think are totally valid so yeah absolutely so what about these these player typologies yeah so she presents um from uh you know her study from from all the interviews that she conducted or was it surveys i forget it was surveys interviews. or interviews okay um it's RPG player typology. And basically, there's three main categories. And then there's also subcategories that kind of blend together the the different categories. So the first one is self-players. And that is defined as, quote, um, players who see themselves as their avatars and identify strongly with them. And then there's role players who, quote, embrace the role playing aspect of the game, creating a different identity and backstory for their characters. They might see the avatars as part of their own identity, but only in a minimal way because their primary goal is to create a new alternative identity, end quote. And then the third category, we have neutral players um, who, quote, do not necessarily see a connection between their identities and their avatars or create separate fictional personalities or backstories for their avatars. They are likely to be more interested in the game mechanics or in certain achievements getting to a place where they demonstrate high levels of mastery over the game itself end quote and then um, the sub uh, the subcategories can be like neutral slash self role play slash self neutral slash role play um where do you see yourself so what so i see myself as shifting between the roles based on the game and mm-hmm. this is something that she really gets into in a lot of the later podcast episodes because okay. she interviews people that that express some some similar notion of like it depends on the game. Sometimes I'm very much a self player, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'm very much well. She she eventually changed the the category of neutral players to mastery players, um, okay? Because she said that those players seem concerned with mastering the game. So, right. so she thought that was more a more appropriate title. Um, and so I think, I mean, if I look at my trophies, like, like we've talked about <laughs> before, I'm not a trophy hunter, but mm-hmm. sometimes I'll play a game and I'm far more interested in 
doing well or hundred percenting it or mastering it than I am mm -hmm. with role playing or neutral, or it even d depends on the instance. So, okay, let me go back. Yeah, yeah. We, this is a question we ask people a lot when, when we talk about RPGs. We're like, did you make yourself when you made your mm -hmm. character or did you make mm -hmm. someone else? And we, we have a great interest in that. And I think mm -hmm. that's part, a big part of what this whole dissertation is based on is that idea of like, how do you play? Because she, uh, Regina McMenemy talked about, uh, actually, I should say Dr. McMenemy. She, she's a doctor now, mm -hmm. um, after this successful dissertation, but, um, she talked about how, uh, gender comes into play with how mm -hmm. she was surprised. She said that she always makes a, a female avatar for her, for the games that she plays. Um, and then one day she was online talking to another female avatar and it, was revealed that this person was a man playing a woman character and mm -hmm. she was like that's so interesting and like in my experience that's not completely abnormal mm -hmm. um you know for as much as we hear certain pockets of gamers on the internet complaining about too many women in games there right, sure are a right. lot of men who play you know female characters on uh, mm -hmm. mmos and such um but I can see being surprised by that because I, if I have the chance, I almost always make myself. So mm -hmm. when I played Fallout, when I'm playing Fallout New Vegas, you can create your character at the beginning. The character creator is not great. I feel like every character you make looks like they've already been irradiated. But <laughs> like what? <laughs> but I still made a character that's like <laughs> as close to myself as I could. Right. They had no shaved heads because I usually have a shaved head. I have a little fuzz right now, but mm -hmm. um, I could get like a buzz cut and a red beard. And I'm usually impressed with how similar your your characters are to Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I try. <laughs> when when the when the editor is good, I I spend a lot of time trying to really make myself look look like myself. But um, but then there are games where I don't have that choice. And so I'm not as much of a self player. So mm, when mm -hmm. I'm playing a game like Horizon Zero Dawn, I'm playing Aloy. I don't get to create my own character. Right. In a way, I do still imagine myself in Aloy's role. And I'm mm -hmm. trying to do my best to experience that role as presented. But I don't identify as a woman. I don't identify as Aloy. She is mm -hmm. her own character. And I, I like her for that. Um, but... I'm playing that game maybe a little bit more into in like the mastery category mm -hmm. um, or maybe the role playing. I think it really sort of changes based on the game. Um, oh, oh, so what I was going to say earlier, I'm, I'm, I know I'm all, all over the place, but like even a game <laughs> like Persona 5 is a great example. So mm -hmm. you can name the character of Joker and Persona 5 in the very beginning. So I named right. him my name that you can do first and last name. So I'm, he's Joey Crundwell in my playthrough, but he doesn't look like me and he's a high schooler in Japan. <laughs> right. <laughs> so to an extent, I would love to sort of project my identity onto that character. I can only do so, so much. I can kind of role play in the role playing category um, that this is the character, but I still call him me. So one of the, the distinctions that she said made it very easy to classify people into self or role players was that self players use first person pronouns when they're talking about their characters they say right. i went yeah, that I was interesting the, yeah and and i was like that rings true like i'm i usually say i i'm like i went to the thing i went to the that even when i'm playing persona 5 which has a very clearly defined character 
who I can mm-hmm. name myself, I'm still saying, I went and did this. I went to the batting cages. I went fishing. Yeah. Like when I, when I, I've been, so I've still been playing, you know, Red Dead and obviously I'm playing as Arthur, Arthur Morgan, but I will be, I'll send you a message and I'll be like, oh, so I went up to wherever in the mountains and then I went down to San Denis and I went hunting and da, 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 da. I don't actually think of myself as Arthur, but I do somewhat identify with like that, that character's instance in the world. Bing. Hello, this is Joey from the future. I am currently editing the podcast and I found a spot where the audio recording software that we used just did not, it just stopped working and didn't record a big chunk of my response to our discussion. And so instead of just deleting an entire chunk so that it makes sense and is continuous, I decided to input this little sound clip to kind of let you know what I was saying so that when Tab responds after I'm done, it sounds somewhat normal. I'm stealing this this technique from the Triple Click podcast. One of their hosts and uh, their editor, Kirk Hamilton, will do a bing and like insert his own kind of commentary on a edit or something like that. So that's what I'm doing here. So essentially, we were talking about which gamer type I was. And I had started out talking about how I'm kind of a little bit of all of them because I I am a self player when I'm playing games where I can create my character. I'm a little bit more of a role player when I'm playing a character that I don't necessarily completely identify with. And then when I'm not playing a game where I'm completely invested or when I'm playing a game where I've already kind of beaten it or I'm just going for the trophies, I'm definitely more of a mastery player. So I, I sort of summed all of that up and then Tab responds to that right right after this. So we'll get back to Tab's response right now. Bing. Okay. Well, I'm actually glad to hear you say that you, like depending on the game and the instance and how you're approaching it at the, like the game at any given time, that you could be you know, any of the three, because I was afraid that you would think I was a little too wishy-washy because I have the same response. Um, I think though, that more often than not, I fall into that second category of role players. Um, So in, you know, embracing the game, creating a different identity, a backstory. Um, For example, when I was playing No Man's Sky, you're not really given much as far as the character, right? So I had my own narrative going on just in my head. And I think we mentioned this before. We both kept like journals, like captain's logs kind of things. And that was definitely me role playing and kind of filling the void of like the absence of character and making myself like that, that explorer. Um, But for me, looking at these categories, I think is interesting because my, how do I want to put this? My experience with like character creators um, and just protagonists in video games is somewhat complicated because as a trans individual, I don't always look at my physical self and like see the me (laughs) that I think I am. And so video games have provided me with an opportunity to like experiment and try on different things and, you know, create and just kind of explore through characters. Um, And so I I love open world role playing games. And more often than not, I will create like a, you know, a quote unquote male character. Um, 
And that was just one of the ways that I was able to sort of express and explore a sense of self. Um, And so I think I very much like most of the time I'm in that role player kind of category where I'm trying on these sort of different, um, these different characters and these different attributes. And I know one thing that um, I can't remember if it was the second or the third episode of um, the first season of her podcast, but they had a guest on. And the guest was talking about thinking like, okay, well, would I actually wear these clothes as they were like building their character and stuff? And that's definitely something that I relate with. Um, When we were both playing cyberpunk, one, I was disappointed that the uh, gender options were so incredibly limited for a game that was cyberpunk. Um, But... With the clothing, I would sometimes wear like absolutely ridiculous things that I would never actually wear in real life. But then other times it was like, that's a jacket that I might actually wear, you know? Um, So that, yeah, definitely in the role player category. Um, When it comes to games like, uh, you know, Ghost of Tsushima, Red Dead Redemption 2, you mentioned Horizon Zero Dawn. I very much enjoy those characters, but I don't identify with them. Um, I can imagine myself in their worlds. Mm-hmm. And I think that those with those three games, the worlds are particularly interesting um, and immersive. But I didn't see myself as Jin or as Aloy, or and I don't see myself as Arthur, you know? Do you think, and maybe mm-hmm. this is impossible to answer, but <laughs> do you think that if rep- representation had been better... Mm-hmm. Like going back to your childhood and there were characters who were far more representative of who you are based on gender and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you think you might be more of a self player? Because like when you were saying that about like, you know, when you can, you like to explore that part of it. Um, I'm thinking like I never had that issue. You know what I mean? Like right. all these games I got to play, there were a lot of characters that I can very easily overlay my personality mm-hmm. onto, even if they didn't really look like me. They were you know, seemingly straight white dudes for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like even if I go back to all the way to um, Chrono Trigger and Earthbound, I played those two very close together when I was like a teenager. And in both cases, you can name your your main characters, your protagonist. Um, And those characters are iconic at this point. And so that's not Joey and Joey. That's Chrono and Ness. They have their own names, their own characters. But when given the opportunity, I absolutely named them Joey and pretended like I was them Mm -hmm. because it was easy for me. And Mm -hmm. so maybe like having, you know, being able to do that time after time after time, no wonder I became a self player because it's easy for me to kind of see myself in these characters. Do you think you might... Have... I, I think so. If if there had been better representation and if there was better representation currently, I we, we are we are seeing the industry make some good shift in direction. <laughs> but it's deeply disappointing when you have one of the most hyped games of last year and it would totally be fitting of like the cyberpunk universe and they were so binary and how yeah. they presented stuff and maybe at some point we should talk about how they represent gender in that game period but anyways um yeah i think if i because i enjoy the role playing so much but i'm only ever able to identify with those characters so far and so i think the way that characters are presented in video games typically um 
prevent me from being more of a self player. Right. You know, um, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, so we, we've played a lot of Grand Theft Auto five online mm-hmm. over the years. And there was a period where like we hadn't played it in a long time yeah. and we came back to it and I, I started up online and my character was female. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time in my life, I was at like this stage where I really was facing, you know, feelings of dysphoria and stuff like that and moving towards like, um, elements of like medical, you know, transition. And that was such a dysphoric thing to see that character. And I was immediately like, Joey, how do I change this? How do I restart? How do I reshape a character? Um, And I mean, the options in that game are not great to begin with, but that was enough for me to be like, I have to change this character or I'm just going to be uncomfortable continuing to play. And you, I mean, you were like, you asked that. And I think we both sort of were like looking into the settings and stuff. And it was like, Mm -hmm. you can't, like, you can't change your gender. So you have to start a new character. And I think you at first were like, just sort of resigned to, all right, well, then I guess I'll just, you know, find some clothing that looks a little better or Mm -hmm. kind of hides, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my physical appearance. And then that didn't really work. It just doesn't, it just wasn't enough, right? And like you yeah. said, you, you were stuck with either living with that character. And it's different when it's Arthur Morgan, because again, that's a defined character that right. you can, you know, that character allows you to sort of blend the self and role players, like you were saying, because mm-hmm. you you are doing what with what Arthur is doing. You're commanding him, you're directing him to do those things. Mm-hmm. So you feel that sort of agency of like, I went here and did this. But right. you're not identifying as him, so you're right. still There's sort a of distance. role-playing. Right. Yeah, which is why I'm not uncomfortable playing a game like Horizon Zero Dawn. Like, I really love Aloy's character. Yeah. Doesn't make me feel dysphoric because I'm only able to identify so far, and I'm, right. like, comfortable with the distance that's built in because of how that game and how the character is structured. Yeah, I think, and I think that's where you know more choice is better in certain games mm-hmm. you know if you want to give me a female or a male character to play and then they're very clearly defined and they have their own personality and all this stuff that's great that's fine Especially, because you're experiencing their story more right. than your story yeah even though i'm telling them what to do i can sort of get lost in that like i like we were talking about the um that blend of the two categories where I'm like, I feel enough like I'm on this adventure myself, but mm-hmm. when it gets to a cutscene, I'm not like, wait a minute, who is this? It's right. not Joey. You know what I mean? Right. I wouldn't have acted that way. <laughs> right. But when you have choices and they give you a roster of characters to choose from or create a character and yes. those choices are, are limited. And that's where like, I would challenge the people who anytime someone speaks up and says, we need more representation, we, we need more options. There's mm-hmm. always those, those, small but loud vocal minority that stands up and says like stop ruining gaming who cares just right. be happy with what you have what i would challenge them to to do is and it's such an easy rhetorical move that they probably wouldn't do if they could but you know <laughs> just fucking switch the the flip the script you know imagine mm-hmm. that when they, with this cat character with a roster of 10 characters there was only one male character and nine female characters that mm-hmm. you had to choose from um, or imagine there was nine characters of color and only one white character. And so you can only choose from like a few hairstyles or a few skin tones or whatever. Right. Um, y- you know, having to deal with that for years and years, you wouldn't like that. You'd be like, damn, I wish I could find a character that's more representative of myself. Like, I can't believe how many spoiled entitled gamers there are that have had, you know, the majority of options for years. And mm-hmm. 
when presented with the possibility of opening it up to people who haven't had that are like throwing a fit. And again, I know it's a very vocal minority, so maybe we shouldn't even spend too much time on them. But Well, I don't know. You say that, but I still think there's still a pretty huge chunk of gamers who are either toxic or just ambivalent, and yeah. that is just as dangerous. Um, and it's very easy to step back and be put your hands in the air and be like, I'm not going to get involved or to be like, it's not that big of a deal when you have been represented right. for so long. And well, I think that's where I where that where I brought up that thing, that idea that maybe the lack of representation forced you to be a different kind of gamer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like that shows that this is not a new issue. This is going all the way back. Like we can't ignore the past when we talk about this stuff. We can't just say, oh, look at this recent game that has this, you know, diverse cast or this, you know, female character or this black character or something like that. We can't just pretend that recent efforts, which are there and are, Mm -hmm. like we said, making moves towards becoming better, um, make up for decades of not being able to make a character that looks like you or not being able to choose a character that in some way represents who you are. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll will get better yeah. um what else anything anything else about the typology that we want to talk about um just going back to having experience with the three um similar to what you already said there are times when i am just going about like gathering up some trophies um trying to get platinum cyberpunk is another great example of that i played through the story i got all of the endings And then I started doing like all of the side stuff just so I could get platinum. And at that period of like my play session, I was definitely neutral. It didn't matter to me, (laughs) the character, whether I was, you know, a self player or a role player, it was simply just like the, the, I guess the function of just going through the game to check off the boxes to get the trophies. That's actually really interesting because I almost feel like That's a great example now that I think about it, because I feel like my experience with cyberpunk was very similar and that I can almost see myself having gone through all three of these typologies Yeah. because I started out as a self player. I created a character that looked like me Mm -hmm. and you know, I, you can't name him yourself, but um, I fully expected to step into this role and be me in this world. The game took that away from me though, because they Mm -hmm. make this character again, far more defined than I think advertised yeah i think it was the idea that like everyone's going to create a different character and you're going to be your own it's your v right exactly "Mm." yeah and it's like no v is a very defined character and it's one of those kinds of games where you'll make a choice or like a dialogue choice and then v says something that doesn't quite match up with what you expect them to say and And, and again we're not bashing that per se it's more that it was maybe not advertised correctly or accurately (laughs) yeah definitely um and so i went from being a self-player starting out the game as a self-player maybe wanting to be a self-player having to sort of forcefully be shift into a role player because Mm -hmm. i don't this is not my character anymore i don't feel like i have as much ownership over this experience as i as I did or as I wanted to. And then, like you said, once I got, you know, past a certain point, I was like, all right, well, I've already kind of done all the story stuff. Now I'm just driving around to, you know, tick some boxes to collect trophies. So 
in in the span of just one one game <laughs> we <laughs> dipped into all three typologies i think that's really that's really... And, and another thing this that that i find interesting is that um so this was specifically for rpgs right right yeah i would love to have discussions in the future about like how i guess how do you categorize yourself as a gamer based on different kinds of games so for example i've been playing a lot of planet zoo and i've hit the point where as i'm playing because i'm in franchise mode i'm imagining myself as an individual who actually has taken over a zoo Mm. and here's how i want to like create my my persona and build up my reputation because i plan on opening other zoos and i've kind of created this sort of role-playing narrative of who i would be as this individual based on matt damon (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean there's a movie called we bought a zoo which is for anyone that doesn't doesn't get that (laughs) i got the reference thank you no i i know what you mean um with Jurassic World Evolution, I would, I would, I would forget about that a lot. You know what I mean? I, I started out like that, like yes, I'm the, and I think when I was succeeding, I was a little bit like yes, I'm a very smart, <laughs> you know, park owner. And then when things were just kind of normal or going poorly, I'm like, who is fucking who's who managing the fuck this? Is owning this? <laughs> it's not my fault. Um, but no, that that is really so. So in a case like that, you think you're more of a self player, even though there's no character involved, right? Uh, I still kind of see that merging of like role playing, even though there's not a character involved. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. And that's where I think it would be really interesting to expand this study would not only be to other game types, because yeah. if I, I'm not mistaken, I think this might be another one of those projects that we've talked about before where it, 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 spawned from world of warcraft mm-hmm, <laughs> i feel like mm-hmm. so much game scholarship started with academics well, understandably it was yeah it was a huge game it was it was very influential it was very popular it was one of those games like minecraft that breached the wall of mm-hmm. you know quote unquote gamers and non-gamers or hardcore and, and casual gamers i almost feel bad for never having played it <clears throat> i that's one of my i played like the tutorial like the opening area and that's it that's it but yeah. Not enough to really say that I've played it, but um summer experience with friends. Oh, there's they have re- remade it. So there's the yeah. wow vanilla. But um could we even get our friends to play that? I don't even know, but <laughs> I you know what? I'm going to hit up Amy after this and see. Um I'd be very I'm curious, curious what she I'm says. Curious. Yeah. <laughs> uh but the other place I think it would be, you know, interesting to expand this is with gender because Mm -hmm. this study was focused on women gamers and Mm -hmm. on the podcast she has interviewed uh other gamers of other genders i think Mm -hmm. i I don't want to say for sure that she's interviewed a trans person or trans people but um she she did in episode six i believe i I was gonna say i thought i remember her doing that but i didn't want to make i didn't want to i didn't want to just invent that but um, I'm, i'm pretty sure it was episode six yeah, and I know she's talked about like the idea of creating these characters being sort of trans in a way because you're, you know, in some cases it's I don't remember the term she used. It's not cross dressing, but it's um, it's it's it is role playing. You're 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 role playing another gender. You know what I mean? Like you're mm-hmm. dressing up virtually 
as another gender. So I think it would be interesting to do similar studies with other genders and then compare. Because what if you did find, you know, that many male player, male identifying players are self players, but many female identifying or non-binary players are role players. Would that say something? Would that speak to our experience where, like you said, you're, it felt like maybe you were sort of more forced to be a role player because you didn't have the representation. Well, and also how do, how do the dynamics change when we're talking about, um, you know, MMOs yeah. where, where, okay, so I am trans non-binary. I choose to play a male avatar and then because of that perception, how do other people like treat me? What does that do for me and my identity? You know what I mean? Like that whole cycle of kind of like the other people that you're interacting with, the audience, and then whether they're like affirming the like, I guess, identity of the avatar, you know, does, does that make any sense? It is. Yeah. And I also think it would be so interesting to explore what you're kind of touching on there which is the impact of these games and your virtual identities on yes. your real life identities right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like we talked about that when we were talking about indie games and we were talking about um oh, i keep forgetting the i always forget the name of it a um secret little haven i think it is oh yeah mm-hmm. um that game is i think again a virtual autobiography or memoir about the effect of Sailor Moon on a young trans girl and how Mm -hmm. that sort of helped her find herself and find a community where she felt welcome and things like that. And I think doing maybe like a side study of this kind of study and looking at not only like, how do you see yourself? How did you, how do you project your identity into these games? But how did those games then shape you? Like you were saying. So, right. Yeah. That would be, yeah. I have a new dissertation. This, this is interesting stuff. <laughs> and and again, I want to say that like this was it was an entertaining for me. Mm-hmm. I know nerd alert, but <laughs> this was an entertaining dissertation to read. Like it was I mean it was smart. It I think respects the intelligence of its audience. Um and it was accessible. Like this is exactly the kind of academic work that I look at and I go, yes, please give me more of this as opposed to just like the heady jargon filled mm. stuff that tends to get published. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Good academic writing. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Any last minute, last second stuff we want to throw in there? Um, I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. I feel like there's more that we could Absolutely, say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to, get into rambling yeah. territory <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think and i think that's where i'm at is like i there's so many things i want to touch on but i'm like i they're not related to what we've said so i think i just kind well of we could flesh out some of that stuff for like other episodes yeah. too so i mean i think we'll definitely be talking about identity again yes so yeah we can definitely kind of come back to some of these ideas but like we said you can check out uh dr mcmenemy on uh, Twitter. Hold on. I think she's Doc Liz um, on Twitter. Let me double check that. I should have checked that beforehand. Yes. Doc Liz with two Zs. Uh, she is Dr. Regina McMenemy. Um, you can find her dissertation just by Googling the uh, the title that we mentioned. Game on Girl. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, hold on. What was the subtitle? Game on Girl Identity and Representation in Digital RPGs. Yes. And that's also the name of her podcast, Game on Girl. So you can find that wherever you find podcasts. And she has that, the website, The Geek Embassy. So mm-hmm. be sure to check that out. Um, next week, do you need a, we're, do you need a we're, tissue? We're going to talk about crying. I'm so sad. No, I, I will be sad. <laughs> We're going to talk about crying in games. So what what yeah. makes us cry? Which games have, have done us in? Mm-hmm. Um, why do we get emotional? Things like yeah. that. Because um, we're both we, we're both known to have cried during during some video games. Yeah. And I think we we're going to like pick that apart a little bit because there's this. I mean, one, there's sort of the stigma for like being emotional, right. period. Yeah. But when it comes to like video games, people be like, "Oh, I've I've never cried because of a video game." Right. <laughs> I've heard I've heard you know people on gaming podcasts who are longtime gamers where something like that will come up and they're like, "Oh no, I didn't, I didn't cry." They're like, "Yeah, I, did, I totally did. right. I didn't know. I didn't make me cry, but I mean, it was sad." And it's like it's so weird to me that people are that sensitive about it, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's because I'm a sensitive guy. Um, so you we'll know, talk about yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about the tears. We'll talk about the tears. Uh, until then, thank you so much for listening. You can reach us at prettypixelspodcast at gmail dot com. You can find me on Twitter at losperman. And until next week, have oh man, I always I struggle on these endings. I was gonna say what? Until uh, next week, what? Have a great week. Have a good one. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. Bye.